we all have stuff that happens in our lives. And as I like to say, your stuff is your story. But what do you do when your stuff is big stuff and your stuff happens while dealing with some other stuff? And then while you're dealing with that other stuff, someone else in your space has stuff that happens to them. How do you deal with all of that stuff, your stuff and their stuff, and then still live life? Well, maybe you cry until you laugh. Let's talk about that today on the What's My Story podcast. Hey y'all, what's happening? It's my name is Robert Kennedy the third, RK3. That's me, and welcome back to another episode of the What's My Story podcast. We've got a special episode today, not on our normal Mondays, but we are still rocking and rolling because we believe that you need to hear this story today. Yeah, yeah. All right, good deal. Well, before we get there, I just want to go through a couple of things really quickly. If you have not had the opportunity to join us on Monday mornings uh, for the Monday morning get up, do that at 8 a.m. We do a show for it's about it's about 15 minutes. If you need a little bit of get up and go, if you need a little bit of inspiration, motivation and elevation to get you rocking and rolling through the week, join me at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Eastern Daylight Time, whatever time it is on the eastern coast of the United States of America, 8 a.m. on Monday mornings to get you moving through your week. A few months ago, we had something amazing called the Story to Stage Virtual Summit, and we had some phenomenal, fantastic presenters like Delatoro McNeil, like Lois Kramer, like Shannon Bussey, like Kirk Nugent and Kat Dunn. The goal of that summit was to help you create more visibility, attract your ideal audience, and then ultimately generate more income using the one thing that is unique to you, that's your story. Well, that summit is complete, it's done, but we wanna make sure that you access all of the fantastic value and knowledge that was there. So we have the Story to Stage Virtual Summit replays available for you. So if you wanna grab those, go to www.storyskills.club forward slash summit. That's storyskills.club forward slash summit. And it is going to be phenomenal. I guarantee you it's gonna rock your world and change your life. This is the What's My Story podcast. It's video, but we also have the audio version of this. And you want to hear the audio version of it because you want to listen to it while you're driving in your car, while you go into your space and your spot. So you can go to What's My Story podcast dot live and you can get all of the old goodness that we've been sharing over the last couple of years. We are at episode, I believe, 55, 56, somewhere thereabouts. But there's a lot of goodness in them, their hills. All right. So make sure that you go to what's my story podcast.live to get those old episodes. Now, oh, yeah, I'm ready. Are you excited? I don't know about you, but I am excited for our guest today. Kim Sorrell is a director or the director of Rays of Hope International. She's a spokesperson for the American Cancer Society, the Susan G. Komen Foundation. She is a serial entrepreneur with several several, not one, not two, not three, several multi-million dollar enterprises. And guess what, folks? She occasionally, ooh yeah, enjoys the occasional stick of black licorice. Hmm, I don't know. 
She and I are going to have to talk about that just a little bit today. Let's talk with Kim Sorrell. Hey, 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 Kim, how are you doing today? Robert, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me here. <laughs> I'm so glad that you're here. You just like perked up really quickly. I love it. I love it. <laughs> What's exciting in your world right now? Oh, my word. Isn't all of life exciting? Shouldn't it yes. all be fun and it wonderful and exciting? Yeah. 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 I've got a new book out that's doing really well. That's probably the most exciting thing. Wow. Wow. So we'll talk about that book a little bit later. I'm assuming it's that book that's right over your right shoulder there with the blue cover. Uh, it might it? be. It might it be. Could okay. Be it. All right. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But first of all, we've got we've got to talk about this black licorice thing. Um, I don't know. I I I smiled, but I don't know if I'm a big fan of black licorice. What is it about black licorice that you love? <laughs> well, the flavor, of course, and I know that it, it's not so popular. I yeah. don't know many people who like black licorice. But when I was growing up, my great aunt, who was my godmother, always had black licorice in her pantry, my mm. Aunt Rita. And so I don't know, maybe I was two years old or who knows how young when I had my first piece of black licorice and apparently liked it and always liked to go to Aunt Rita's and have black licorice. So it reminds me of her. Wow. For those of you that are watching, listen, black licorice is very different than Twizzlers, people. Don't go get a back pack of Twizzlers and paint it black and think you're going to get the same experience. So, <laughs> so let's, let's jump into our story for today. So you have this story that a lot of people do not have. We've all had moments where we've gone to the doctor or something's happened and, and we've been given some news you know, you've got you've got a flu. In my case, I had chicken pox one time, but that was the extent of it. For a lot of people, they don't hear the dreaded big C word. So talk us through um, the the beginning of your your story. What was happening around the time or before you got to your your diagnosis? Tell us a little bit about the beginning of that. Well, I went and got a physical. And I was 47 years old and my doctor told me I had to get a mammogram. And I said, I am not gonna get another mammogram. They're painful, they're horrible. They squish you like a pancake. It's awful. There's no breast cancer in my family. And I think it's just a way for the medical world to get money, but she convinced me. And I said, fine, I'll go. And so I went. And uh, then when I was there, they said, well, we'd like to do an ultrasound after the mammogram. So I said, all right. So then they did an ultrasound. Then they decided they needed to do a biopsy. So they scheduled a biopsy. And I was just in total denial. There can't be anything because it's not my family. I'm too young for it. I'm too busy for it. Who's got time for cancer? Nobody has time for cancer. Well, on a Friday afternoon, I got a phone call from my doctor's office saying that I did indeed have breast cancer. Wow. Wow. So you get this news on a Friday afternoon before the weekend, of course, when you're supposed to be going out to enjoy yourself and chill and relax from the, from all of the crazy of the week. You get this news. Uh, what do you do next? Do you go to your family? Do you tell? Who do you tell? How, what happens next? Yeah, I, w I was shocked and crying. And so I called my husband. He was at work. And 
it seemed like seconds later he was there. I don't know how he got there so fast, but he did exactly the right thing to do. Anybody facing this, any husband out there, this is the right thing to do. He came home and he grabbed me and he just held me. And we just held each other and cried together and didn't know what the future was gonna look like. Wow, wow. So you get this news, he comes home, you are, you are all together. What is going through your mind now about, you know, what the next thing is that you're going to do? I mean, we're not th talking about months down the road. What's Monday like? What's Monday going to be for you at this point? Right, right. Well, Saturday morning, I went to the bookstore mm -hmm. because I thought certainly there's going to be a book to tell me what to do. I have no idea. I didn't know anybody who'd faced this. I didn't know what was going on. But everything was either very medical or very depressing. So I left the bookstore without a book and I wasn't sure what was gonna happen. And so uh, the next Monday, I got a phone call that I had an appointment on Tuesday and we went to the doctor's office and I believe it was five hours of waiting before we got to see the doctor. She was that far behind for whatever reason. And when we did see her, she came in the office. She said, yep, you have breast cancer. Go talk to my scheduler to schedule your surgery. See you later. Mm -hmm. And we were like, what just happened? What is even just happening? I had no yeah. idea. Yeah. Well, so I, I know that we have some more to go in this story. But for those people, especially you're at the stage where you're, you're, you're approaching that halfway century, you know, mark through through life, right? And people have plans and they're, they're thinking about what's next. If you think back to when you received this diagnosis, is there something differently that you would have done with the way you responded or how you handled it? For anybody that's experiencing that now, what suggestions or what advice might you be able to give hindsight uh, with the benefit of hindsight to anybody that may be uh, approaching that? Well, I would say know that there are choices to make. Know that just because you get a doctor assigned to you, basically, you don't have to stick with that doctor. Most insurances will pay for a second opinion when it comes to cancer and wow. get that second opinion because not all cancer is treated all the same way and not everybody has the same opinion. Not all the doctors operate the same way. And you want to have faith in your doctor. You want to be with somebody that you trust that you feel comfortable with. And so don't just go to somebody because they tell you that's who you're going to. Wow. So how do you know? I mean, what, what are the criteria that you had for yourself with regard to trust and, and comfort with, with your doctor? Well, with that particular doctor, I definitely was not comfortable because first it was a five hour wait to even get into the office. And then she was so brief with us. You know, we waited all this time and here it's a cancer diagnosis and she gave us three minutes of her time. I didn't wow. like that at all. Like that didn't make sense to me. And so I did call around and found the name of a good doctor and went to her and she was wonderful and compassionate and passionate about what she does. And she's a surgical oncologist. So you don't need a separate surgeon from the oncologist, which that's a nice thing. And she was highly recommended by more than one medical professional friend of mine. And she was fantastic and yeah. made me very comfortable. 
Wow. So I, I love that you are just empowering people that even when you get this information, you still have choices. Life still goes on. You're still, you still have some power in, in, in making decisions about how you live your life and you don't have to be forced into uh, dealing with a specific doctor, surgeon, physician, or outsourcing your medical care without having a say in it. So I, I, I love that. So let's start to walk through a little bit more of your story here. So you, you get this diagnosis, you're starting to figure out what's next for you. And you're, you're, mark, you're moving your way through your, your appointments over the next couple of months. And then um, about three or four months later, something unexpected happens. So you share with us that unexpected event and and how you took that. Yeah, well, my husband had been having stomach aches and he'd gone to the doctor three times from the time I was diagnosed until four months later. And the doctor said, well, take some Tums. It's because of what Kim's going through. And so you just have an upset stomach and that's it. And a week after his third appointment, I was laying in bed recovering from another surgery and watching Grey's Anatomy reruns. And he woke up and was miserable. And I said, that's it, go to the ER. They're not doing anything for you at the doctor's office. Go to the emergency room, they'll run a test. So he drove himself to the emergency room and he was a rule follower. And so it said no cell phone, so he did not have a cell phone on. So I waited and waited for him to call and give me any sort of news. And he called and he said, I guess they're going to keep me overnight. And I'm like, keep you overnight? Nobody stays overnight in a hospital and it's a Friday. They're going to keep you overnight on a Friday? That made no sense to me. So I put on real people clothes for the first time in a week. And yeah. I got in my car, drove like a bat out of hell in my Vicodin-induced state. And I was almost to the hospital and I got another phone call. And he said, I guess there's a spot on my liver. Wow. And I'm thinking, spot on your liver? I just started bawling. I got to the hospital, asked where he was. They told me where to go. And he was behind a curtain. And I ran over there holding all parts of my body that were hurting. And I whipped back the curtain and he was sitting on the edge of the bed like nothing was going on. Mm -hmm. And I'm weeping. And he said, listen, I am not going to invite you out anymore if this is the way you're going to behave. <laughs> and I said, listen, you are not allowed to be funny right now. Wow. So it took us a few days. I lived in denial saying they must have screwed up testing. Something's wrong. But a few days later, uh, we got the final diagnosis and it was pancreatic cancer. Wow. So you have cancer a few months before breast cancer you're diagnosed with four months later you're getting news that he is diagnosed with with pancreatic cancer um and it's one thing to deal with your own issues or your own fears but then you have somebody else who you love that that has that as well i want to hear a little bit about how you both began to deal with this stuff <laughs> that's happening to both of you at the same time, because I know that there are other people out there who maybe have a similar situation and will learn a little bit from you. So let's take a quick break and then we'll jump back into your story right after this. Are you still struggling to plan your next event? Let us rescue you. It's handled. It's handled. 
Melissa Jakes, CEO and founder of Rescue Event Planning, the Olivia Pope of Live Events. Consider your next event handled. Yes, when you have live events, you want to make sure that you have somebody who's competent, some somebody who's professional in charge so that you can do what you do well. Well, get over to rescueeventplanning.com, get connected with Melissa Jakes because you want to make sure that your next event is handled. All right. So let's jump back into our story here with Kim. So you're you get this news about your husband and both of you now have this traumatic dramatic big thing that you're dealing with together and and for most of us it would seem like that's enough to make things just fall apart for you how do you and your husband deal with this new information pancreatic cancer is one of the worst diagnoses there there's no cure there's you don't live long uh, by the time you figure out you have pancreatic cancer. It's usually throughout your body in a lot of places, and it was for him. Right. So we knew we didn't have long. The doctor told us probably a year, maybe a year. And so we decided that uh, we were going to have a great time together. We weren't going to just stay in the sadness. We were going to have a great time, whatever amount of time he had left. And we are praying people, and I believe in an afterlife, and I've heard it's pretty good. And so we prayed, you know, Lord, heal them like you did the blind and the lame or the ultimate healing of heaven, but please don't let him suffer. That was our prayer. And he did not suffer. He didn't suffer. We had a great six weeks together watching Cash Cab and playing gin rummy and whatever it is we did. Wow. And, but, but six weeks, six weeks later, he woke up in pain. And it was really the first time that he'd had a lot of pain. Wow. And he was in so much pain. I called the hospice nurse and he was rocking in pain. And I was holding him onto the bed because he was on the edge of the bed. I was afraid he was going to fall off. And he was just miserable. And I just whispered in his ear, baby, just go. Yeah. And yeah. that was it. It was that fast. Yeah. So during this six weeks, you, you've got this book that you wrote, one of your first books that came out of this experience, Cry Until You Laugh. Um, how did you deal with or what were what were some of the things that discussions that you had as you walked through this this crazy time together? What, what, what were some of the things that made you laugh during this time? Well, he was a pretty funny guy. And I can be pretty funny too sometimes. So laughter was always a part of our relationship yeah. and we had a great relationship and we didn't have regrets. We traveled, we'd done things together. We kept our marriage alive. We didn't just have the kids take over our lives entirely so that we left the marriage in the dust. We, we stayed connected and stayed loving, adoring each other. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the main things was uh, control. You know, there's, there are things in life you have no control over, like a cancer. I yeah. would never have picked that. Like if I had control over, I never, there's things that you just don't choose that you, you have no control over to choose. But then there are other things that you do get to choose. Wow. And happiness is one of them. You, you get to choose that. You get to choose how you're going to live. You get to choose what life looks like now. 
you get to choose whether you're going to stay and and wallow in in the pain or whether you're going to learn how to laugh again wow wow so you you've got these I, I love i love that i love that choose i think a lot of us downplay or don't give the power of choice enough enough space or credit in our lives we figure okay if i'm in a bad mood I just, I'm just in a bad mood. I'm, I'm going to be that way. That's just how I am. But you're saying that we get to choose no matter what our situation is, we get to choose how we show up. So you've gone from cry till you laugh, right? You're just sharing your personalities and the way that you've dealt with trauma and grief in, in your space to now this, this new book, uh, love is tell us a little bit about that transition from loving to crying and laughing to really now sitting inside of love and what, what that is. Tell us about the new book. Yeah, well, I, I questioned love, mm -hmm. the, the real meaning of love. There, it seems to be mysterious, right? We yeah. think we know and then we think we don't know. And, and there are things done in the name of love or said in the name of love that can't possibly be love. But we're all kind of taught differently what love is. So I decided I was going to figure it out, that I was going to take a year, an entire year, and search for the true meaning of love. And I've got to tell you, Robert, I have a hard time going to a restaurant and committing to an entree. So committing <laughs> an entire year to do something was a big yeah. move for me. Yeah. And so I used this, this old poem that you hear at a lot of weddings, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast. And I decided I would take one word a month and really figure out what it what it means. What is love that is patient? What is love that is kind? And most of the time I was doing it, I was in Haiti. And I'll tell you what, the things that I found out were things that I've never heard before. Things that I don't think anybody knows, but they're things that rocked my world, changed my life, and I think would change anybody's life and change the world. Yeah. So let's, I mean, I would love to dive in a little bit further. So you took a word so let's start with with patient. How did you live out or how did you research and explore patience with regard to love? Well, so I was in Haiti and I was just looking for it everywhere. I was saying love is patient, love is patient, love is patient, looking and looking. Yeah. And then something happened. Always a story of some sort happened where I got knocked over the head. Now, this is what it means. So love that is patient is loving whoever it is you're with your next door neighbor, your child, your spouse, your whoever, in a way that you recognize that this is the most important moment of your life, mm -hmm. that what's in the past is in the past and what's in the future is yet to come. That right here, this moment being with the person you're with, this is the most important moment. Yeah. And I'll tell you, for me, it was easy to not be in the moment. It was easy to be thinking about a meeting I had later today or who I had to get to soccer practice or what I was going to make for dinner and think that I'm fully engaged in conversation all at the same time. But I wasn't. You can't do that. If you love with love that is patient, you are fully engaged and totally there. And it changes your life in that you listen in a whole different way. You hear things you never would have heard. You no longer make assumptions about what somebody's going to say. You actually listen to what they're going to say. 
Wow, that's that's amazing. So I think I want to you were answering a question that I was going to ask next, because you've had the opportunity of being in a space where you're you're building these these large enterprises, right? You're building these multiple million dollar businesses. And that takes a lot of, of time. And maybe you miss some of the the roses as as you're doing that. And so You've, you've had those experiences. You had this traumatic experience. What would you say has been the biggest thing that has changed for you after uh, being in the space of rat race of building businesses to now um, being on the other side where you direct this direct rays of hope and, and, and you speak about the, the, the cancer diagnosis? And what, what is the biggest thing that you say you would say has changed for you? Well, I would say that... Uh, anytime you go through a tough time, it certainly changes your perspective on life and, and changes your priorities, what's really important to you. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, relationships are the most important thing. Mm. And love is a universal thing. And we tend to think of it as for your family, for your friends. It's not just for your family and friends. It's not like you go into work, go into your job and you hang love on the hook and love doesn't exist anymore until you leave again and go home to your family. It doesn't work like that. So love, even bringing it into the workplace to recognize that it's it's something that happens there changes you because you become more authentic and genuine. When you talk to people, you really listen. You stop putting labels on people and stop making assumptions because of those labels. Stop having your rebuttal ready to go instead of really listening to what people have to say. Yeah. And just doing that, that alone uh, changes everything, right? Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. I think when people are listening to someone like yourself, like myself, they see somebody that's maybe had the experience um, and is maybe a little bit older now and so they can say some of these things, right? But if you're speaking to somebody that is 22, 23, that really hasn't built life yet, what would you say is one of the most critical things that critical exercises that they can take on at that time that's really going to make the greatest difference for them going forward? Don't forget about people. Mm. Realize that people, people are the most important thing. Yeah. It's easy when you're trying to claw your way to the top or build an enterprise or whatever to step over some people. Yeah. And nobody, nobody deserves to be stepped over. Yeah. Think, think about people first. Yeah. All right. Well, we're, we're almost at the end of our time, but I really want to give you a moment to what, what do you want people to know most about you and what you're up to these days? Ray of hope or anything else that you're up to? What do you want people to most know about Kim Sorrell and, and her world and her space right now? Well, my book, Love Is, I am so passionate about because I know that love, real love, the way it is, the way you live it and give it and breathe it changes, will change the world. It'll change your life. It'll change the world. And so I am on a mission to tell as many people as possible about this kind of love that you can have in your life that gives you freedom like you've never had before and joy and so many great things. And it's been a wonderful journey so far. I've had uh, some emails from couples that their marriages, they thought were going to end and then read the book and they're together and happier than ever and families that have mended things along the way. 
And even in the corporate world, businesses that have bought a copy for everyone in the office and then meet once a month over a chapter. And so I know that it's a life-changing thing. It sure was for me. And I feel like I did everybody's homework for them. <laughs> I lived the time and I was chased by a motorcycle gang and got lost on a mountain and slept with the tarantulas. So I went through some things to get there. And so I'm passionate about it. If everybody knew how to love the way we're supposed to love, what love really is, life would be a different, a different situation. It. I love it. I see we've, we've got your website on screen, KimSorrell.com. You can grab the book on Amazon as well. Is that true? It is true. And okay. at Barnes & Noble, it's available. Mm -hmm. So it's in some brick and mortar stores as well as Amazon, every bookseller online, wherever. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Well, Kim, it's been fantastic to hang out with you. I appreciate your time and sharing your story, your per your deeply personal and vulnerable story today. I really appreciate you sharing that. I see some people saying that this is a powerful, moving story. They're thanking you for sharing that because there are definitely people who are experiencing similar things and they're figuring out how to navigate their way from there to here as well. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hang out Thank in the green room so for just much. a moment. Yeah. Excellent. 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 Listen, everybody's got a story and everybody's got things that they're walking through. Just like Kim, you may be in a space where unexpected things are happening, not only to you, but to those that you love. And as those things happen, remember what she said, that people are the most important thing, that relationships are the most important thing. Never enter or leave a day angry. Never enter or leave a day without sharing time with the people that you love, without creating experiences and memories with the people that you love. And even the people that are not that close to you, how do you want to be remembered? What interactions do you want to have with them? Do you want to be remembered as the person that just brushed somebody by or the person that made even the most quote unquote insignificant person feel important? How do you want to live? Who do you want to be? What do you want to be your story? Hey, y'all, I'm Robert Kennedy III, RK3. Join me for the next episode of the What's My Story podcast every Monday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Eastern Standard Time, whatever time it is on the eastern coast of the United States of America. I'll see you again soon. Peace. What's my story?